Today's reading is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It can be found on page 981 of your Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is Aramaic, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that this was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to join me in prayer as we begin. God of grace, thank you for um, the way in which... uh, You do lead our lives, even if we're not uh, convinced of it at this point or aware of it. And you led us to this place, and I pray that in this time you would help us to get a sense of why you led us here. And that it is you who who brought us here. We're not here just as a mistake or just because someone invited us, even though that might be the case. That you're a part of our journeys. And you have this way of drawing us to you. And as you draw us together from all different places this morning, whether from, with great doubt and skepticism or great belief and renewed joy, whether with a lot of hurt or just a numbness to our spiritual existence that we hope some, something kind of breaks through this morning, wherever we come from, we're all the same in one crucial way. When it comes to our relationship with you, we're more of a mess than we care to admit. And you have decided to move towards us with your grace in Jesus. That you find us a mess and move towards us regardless to bring your favor and grace into our lives. So speak to us now through that grace. And speak to us in such a way that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a bit of a series of hot potatoes in terms of the topics, the difficult sayings of Jesus or the surprising sayings of Jesus. And we've got through some difficult weeks. Um, I even realized, um, really, I, I don't enjoy admitting this, but it was after I had preached on it, I, it was pointed out to me that I, I preached about how there will be no marriage in heaven the day before Valentine's Day. Um, you know, not, not a strategic marriage move, but I, my marriage survived. Um, that week, that weekend and that Valentine's Day. And, and yet, even with all of that and all the, the tough topics we've had so far, um, I, I think this is the most difficult saying so far that we've dealt with with regard to Jesus. Because he says, before this little vignette is over, he says to someone, to their face, stop 
sinning. And he seems to actually mean that. There's no, I mean, some of these, some of these sayings of Jesus, there's something we're not quite getting culturally and you can kind of understand it by kind of probing the issues and, and it's really maybe not on the surface, but this on the surface, it is what it is, it seems. Jesus saying, stop sinning and meaning it. And so Jesus comes off, I think, that most of us in our cultural context, in our way of going about life, Jesus is coming off like that, um, that toxic person um, in your life who's nosy and judgmental and wants to shove their pill down your throat. Um, if someone did this to you in real life, someone put you in a position where you feel snubbed and unfairly picked apart, you'd probably do the same thing that this person in this story did. You know, Not only walk away, but walk away and, and this person had the ability to kind of get back at Jesus a little bit because of this little issue of the Sabbath. And if you read the Gospel of John, which this is in, there is a bit of a, um, a thread that builds in the story of Jesus and violation of Sabbath laws and the religious types taking more and more of an offense at this and eventually that's a part of their arresting him um, and him being crucified. And this man you know, has the ability to go to the authorities and say, that's the guy. And he does. He gets back at him for probing a little too much into his personal life. Um, so I think for us, this passage is just coming in and breaking some of the rules of social engagement for healthy relationships as we tend to go about um, relationships. It's why you've, you've heard it, maybe you've even said it, that Christianity at times seems to be wanting to come into a little too personally into my life and into my moral choices and wrap sort of an ethical straitjacket around me in a way that just feels, you know, not helpful. So maybe you've said that, maybe you've heard that. And it makes us wonder, as we look at this passage, John chapter 5, when he says, stop sinning, it makes you wonder, what sin is he talking about? What, What was going on there? What did Jesus see? What was the interaction? And the answer is, we don't know. And that's actually kind of part of the point of this interaction, is we don't know. The point is, Jesus gets into this man's inner life. He's healed him. There's been a very very much an external, out-in-the-open issue that's been dealt with. Now the internal issue. Jesus comes and um, brings, not only for this man, but for all of us, the question of will you, once, once you've met Jesus, once you begin to explore who Jesus is, faith in Jesus, a relationship in Jesus, will you move from having kind of this inner life that is your public domain or will you eventually in journeying with Jesus let yourself be opened up to Jesus' questioning to Jesus' presence fully in your inner life that's really what's at issue here and if you do now this man is sort of the, the negative example in the story because by the end of the story he has walked away he hasn't opened up his inner life he hasn't by the end of it he still has like most of us has a very insulated inner life but if you open up your inner life we're going to look at three things briefly this morning that the Christian faith promises three findings in a sense you'll find your savior You'll find your real need, and you'll find your gratitude. 
Open up your inner life to Jesus. You find your Savior. You find your real need. And you find your gratitude. First of all, your Savior. Now, here's a question about this man in the story. Um, at first reading, kind of a quick cursory reading of this story, it seems perhaps like something changes in this man. You know, he's he's kind of receptive at the beginning, but in the end, he's he's running off with a sort of vindictive spirit, and he's going to get Jesus back. But I would let, let's pause a second and look. Does he, is there really a change in this man? Does he really change from being receptive to you know, you know rejecting Jesus or being vindictive? If you look at verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, Do you want to get well? And it says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now that's what he says. And part of, part of what's difficult about this passage is, is we don't really know what's going on with respect to the stirring of the water. Clearly there's, a, there's crowds of people who, who desire healing, desire miraculous healing, and they're at this pool waiting for some kind of miracle. We're not sure. Some of the older manuscripts, if you're a real Bible nerd, um, you'd know that, that in maybe just by being observant, you realize that we, there wasn't a verse 4. Verse 4 was skipped because um, some older translations, um, newer ones don't have verse 4, but some older ones have a verse in there, like uh, the King James has it. It says this, For an angel... For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. As we have more and more uh, manuscript evidence of the copying tradition of scriptures, uh, we have better and better evidence of what the earliest manuscripts said. And just to keep a long story short, this verse seems to have been an add-on a little later on as the copying went on with the New Testament. It was almost as if, maybe scholars say, maybe it was a marginal note that eventually through copying made it its way into the text because it seemed to add this little missing link to why this is going on. But, you know, it's newer translations say, well, it just doesn't seem to have been a part of the original manuscript, so we're going to leave it out. But all that aside, so I just have to say that because some of you might have said, why is there no verse 4? All that aside... We have someone who, who wants to get healed. Jesus says, do you want to get healed? And his answer is very interesting. I have no one to help me. What's going on with that answer? It seems as if this man almost prefers to camp out in a sort of self-salvation mode. At best, what maybe he's asking for, if, if, if Jesus is asking to be of some kind of help, at best what this man is open to is Jesus giving him a hand. You know, I, I'm pretty good here. i got a good strategy, but, you know, I just people keep getting in faster than me. I, maybe I could use a hand getting in next time the water is stirred. And so when Jesus... Um, at the end of the story, when Jesus has, give, has himself virtually given this man his life back after 38 years of, be, of not having the use of his body, Jesus, I mean, imagine, you know, he's consigned to this kind of life of sitting at a pool with others who are needing healing. And now he's, now he's just, he's got full use of his body. He's up and about. His whole life is different from here on out. All because Jesus looked at him and said, be healed, get up. 
Okay, so Jesus has given him his life back. And then when Jesus begins to address his inner life, his guard goes up. And I think he's furious. Isn't that an interesting picture of what's going on with this man? I think if you look at him from beginning to end, nothing has changed. From the beginning of the story to the end, he is, he is on a self-salvation path. He can't imagine seeing Jesus as coming into his life in a kind of mode as a savior. In fact, I wonder if he almost had a chip on his shoulder a little bit that his healing came about the way it did. You know, that he didn't have any hand in it at all. Jesus just, Jesus didn't even say, you know, if you do this such and such three times, then you'll be healed. It, it's, it's one of these healings where Jesus just, he didn't even ask, would you like me to heal you? He just answered him by healing him and saying, get up. He didn't give him a choice to be, even be a part of it. And I, I wonder if that even dug into him a little bit. He wanted to, he wanted to save himself. So he has no use for someone sticking his neck into his life. His response to Jesus asking about his inner life is, I got it handled. Uh, it's, it's really none of your business. I'm good. Now, think about this. If, if you're in any kind of mode like this with Jesus, that you're very comfortable with Jesus as teacher, advisor, consultant, a little bit of help on the side for the spiritual side of life, um, it's very common. It's very common to be in this mode, but it's not common to stay in that mode all your life. And here's the problem with that: is Christianity makes itself very vulnerable to you walking away from Jesus on this exact point. Because over and over again, if you're really looking at Jesus, you're going to see the outrageousness of His claim in your life, or the place that He desires to have in your life. All of your life. Not a little bit external over here, a little bit external over here, but in your inner life. And so Jesus has no problem throughout the stories of the gospel allowing himself to be known as by those who will admit it as, as Messiah, as Savior, as Forgiver. Early Christians right away began calling him Lord and King and saying he rose from the dead. All of these things, they weren't later developments like might happen in some religions by a great religious figure that later on things get embellished. These were all right at the very beginning of the movement. This is who Jesus is. He's Lord. He rose from the dead. He's got this kind of claim over your whole life. And in a sense, that is so outrageous. We so do not like that kind of claim of someone in our life. We'd much prefer the consultant that this is how the Christian faith makes itself very vulnerable to, to all of us. Eventually, as the man in the story does, Walking away. It's walking away. Maybe it'll take you know, two months. Maybe it'll take uh, two decades. Maybe it'll take 50 years. But eventually you've got to come to a point where you look at this, at this offer for your inner life and say, will I begin to look at Jesus not just as helper, but as some kind of a savior in my inner life? So... If you open up your inner life to Jesus, you see a Savior. Secondly, you, you find your real need. One of the symptoms of um, an insulated inner life, such as this man in the story seems to have, is that you won't always feel comfortable praying for yourself. Um, you'll pray for needs issues that come up, a job, spouse, some fork in the road, your money, uh, your career, your health. 
But there's, a, there's sort of a switch that you can make when you begin to let Jesus into your inner life um, where you let him deal with your deeper, bigger needs and you even begin to be convinced. It's, a, it's something that has to change is that you're convinced that the issues in your inner life, your lack of trust in God and how that plays out in your decisions and in your life, that, that those inner issues are your greater need. So that it can be said with this man in the story, being healed, not his greatest need in life. And um, so what if, you know, what if the things you might normally pray for, that more the external issues, the needs that maybe seem the greatest on the outside, what if your prayers begin, begin to change? Can you imagine your pr- prayer life to begin to change that when you're, when you're in the midst of those struggles, when you want to pray about those, you pray for the condition of your heart and your, your inner life while you go through those struggles. So now you're no longer just praying that God help this issue to work itself out, help me to get this job, help the money to work out this month. Help, help my trust in you to grow as I struggle with finances this month. Help my trust to grow, my trust in you to grow as I wrestle with why you still haven't brought that one person into my life that I've been dreaming about having. Help my trust to grow as I continue to wrestle with my health on this particular issue. And on and on and on. What if, what if your prayers begin to look like that? It's a totally different way of praying. It, it, during Lent, we're going to have um, some, some prayer cards. They're daily prayers for Lent. We've done it before. And so there'll be, they're just tools to grow during the season of Lent coming up in a week and a half. And just to give you a window into how these sort of, this sort of inner focus is in the midst of all of these prayers. There's all different prayer, prayer cards that'll be out on all different issues. And here's some snippets from some of them. Quiet the noise around me and let me hear your voice. I want the abundant life that you came to give me. Or this one. I look to my community for approval and never find enough of it. I feel alone even when I'm with people. Help me to find acceptance in your love. Or this one. My worry about money betrays my lack of trust. Help me to lose my fear of struggle. These are just snippets. I fight to control the demons of self-doubt that taunt me with my worthlessness. Show me who I am. In your eyes. Tear down my defenses and protective walls. This one. I, hung, I acknowledge my vast hunger and emptiness. Fill me now with your presence. Let me savor your love. One more. Uh, I have a void in my heart that is meant for connection with others. I need your connection, your affection, your grace to flood my heart through knowing the love language of your cross. Prayers for the inner life. Um, When Jesus says, uh, stop sinning or something worse might happen, Jesus is saying that the, the healing of this man's body is peanuts compared to the healing in his inner life that needs to take place. 
And so C.S. Lewis gets at this when he says in the book weight of, The Weight of Glory, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Um, our approach with God and with what we think God or Jesus offers is often like um, we think that we've been invited to a party and when it gets a little too late or maybe socially awkward, then we'll make our polite exit out of whosever house it's at when it's actually an invitation to a new home that you'll now live in and you'll look at the corridors and the rooms and, it, and it's, it's, it's a treasure of a place to live. And it brings you great joy to settle forever in this place. So, if you open up your inner life to Jesus, the Christian faith says you find uh, your Savior, you'll find your real need, you'll also find your gratitude. The Christian faith um, basically says that, that you... You don't go about your spiritual life with God as obeying in order to gain acceptance. But it's reverse. It's you're accepted by God. Acceptance is given to you so that you might obey. So notice in the story, and think about this, think about how this is playing out in the story. There's no talk of sin or obedience on the front end or you know, do you believe enough to be healed or clean up your act and I'll bring you healing? There's no talk of obedience. And then and Jesus already opens up the floodgates of God's favor into this man's life. And he even seems like he might have been a bit of an unattractive individual in terms of just his, his bent in life and the chip on his shoulder. So you might even say, you know, why did Jesus pick him? And it's, but he just does. And his favor pours out, and he restores him, and, he, and, he, and he's basically reconciling this man with God in this act of healing. So what comes first, the call to obedience or the act of mercy? Clearly, it's the act of mercy. It's the normal, it's the default mode of God with us in Scripture, is that he comes to us, first and acts and then obedience follows. Example after example, Old Testament to New Testament basically says the, the walk of the Christian life is all about gratitude. It's gratitude. Not, not guilt or worry or fear of punishment. It's all about gratitude for what God has already firmly done for you to save you. So that's the trajectory of the Christian life and we don't, we, we don't see that playing out here. In, uh, in this man's life because he just kind of walks off and disappears. He's the exception to the rule. And you look at other examples, the Gospel of John gives us these great vignettes of, of would-be disciples encountering Jesus and then you see their response. You have this guy named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night and he's asking Jesus, he's kind of inquiring, but he's doing it secretively because he's, he seems a little bit on the fence yet of his commitment with Jesus. But after this encounter with Jesus, when's the next time we hear about him? But 
in verses or in chapter 19 verses 38 through 40 when they're describing Jesus has died and some of his disciples are gathering his body and and taking him to the tomb and it says that uh, Joseph of Arimathea was accompanied by Nicodemus you see what's happened to this man who's encountered God's grace the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night listen to this Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you've ever tried to lift a, an 80-pound bag of concrete. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really difficult thing to... I, I don't know if he had a cart for all these spices or not, but this was a heavy load of things to be bringing. Just gives you a, a little specific picture about where Nicodemus ended up after his encounter with Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the well... Very resistant at first. She gets this offer from Jesus. She ends up running to her whole town and telling everyone about Jesus. And it says, uh, She went and said, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Then you have this woman, Mary, whose brother Lazarus has been raised from the dead, the chapter before. And you find her in chapter 12 of John taking a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, which was worth about a year's wages, and pouring it on Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That was her response to encountering Jesus' mercy. There is a man born blind who is healed. Um, Chapter 9, he ends up publicly declaring that he not only knows Jesus or knows that it was Jesus who healed him, but he admits being a disciple and he, he basically says Jesus has come from God. And he says this to the religious authorities with the consequence of being thrown out of the synagogue. See all these, I mean, as you look through the Gospel of John and see the stories of this, you know, encountering the mercy of Jesus and responding, you see things that are dramatic, spontaneous, almost a lot of them are measurable, 75 pounds, years wages, you know, they're specific, thrown out of the synagogue, many came to faith. So think about yourself, and all of us can relate, if we've heard the offer of the mercy of Jesus in some way, needing over and over to look at it, to experience God's grace again, and to look hard at it until the gratitude comes. Until the specific, the sacrificial, the spontaneous, the dramatic responses come. And really it only comes, this kind of response to Jesus only comes through prayer. So let me close by reading a prayer from Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul is praying in a letter for this church. And this is his prayer. It's not for external stuff. It's for their inner life. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. And again, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Will you pray with me? God, may this be our prayer, and may we be not afraid as a community to pray for you to change us from the inside out. May we also be not afraid to pray, um, each and every one of us, for the difficulty of having faith. And may we pray through that by asking you to come in, for you to be real and vibrant, and for us to encounter you not just externally, but in our inner life. May you deal with our brokenness and our mess and call us to obedience. May we not be afraid of that, but may we open up our hearts to you.